guess I, I guess I knew Teresa. I talked to her afterwards. I guess I somehow I grew up with her, and I kind of wish that I would have remembered, but my parents were talking with her after last service, and, and so it was really neat for them to kind of uh, kind of swap stories and see each other. And, but it's a powerful thing. And, you know, we've all been through loss of some type or another. And, uh, and, 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 and if you feel like you haven't, you probably have. But uh, if you feel like you haven't, there are definitely certainly people around you who have experienced loss. And uh, so tonight, we're going to kind of talk about loss in two different parts. We're going to talk about um, how to help someone who is experiencing loss or who has been through a loss. We're going to talk about um, how to go through loss on our own or how to kind of confront um, the, the loss in our own lives. Um, and, you know, when we think about this, when, when, when my life changed when thing, uh, there's, there's a quote that I found that Jeff uh, Bogue said in his in his sermon on this, all of the pastors of Grace Church preached this sermon. So I just kind of, I got it and I was excited about it. Um, but Jeff said, he said, life can be seen through the paradigm of defining moments. God often interacts with people in certain moments of their lives and our life changes when we embrace those defining moments and allow God to shape us through them. And oftentimes loss is that same type of thing. I, you know, you experience a loss, and, and if we allow God to shape us through it, it can be an amazing thing. Um, I, funny thing, I was listening to Jeff's sermon on this, uh, and my I had just been uh, out in Michigan, well, that state up north, and I, I did my sister-in-law's um, wedding. And that was kind of a loss for me because she's my youngest sister-in-law and she was like 10 when I got married. So it was hard. But anyway, uh, uh, my, my daughter, she said, Dad, is that you on the radio preaching? And I was like, no, that's not me. That's Jeff Bogue. And she was like, oh, it sounded like you, but it was kind of squeaky. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought that was funny. Um, but, you know, uh, there's a preaching side of me and a teaching side of me. And so the teaching side of me wants to share a couple of um, portraits, or maybe you would call them case studies with you. And, uh, and so we're going to start out with that. And so the first one we're going to talk about is Paul. And Paul, uh, I met him at Akron City Hospital. I was a chaplain there um, for several months. I was in a, a training program for chaplains, and, and uh, I, I worked on this floor, and uh, Paul came to Akron City with a rare disease, uh, um, the rosary disease it's called. And, and essentially, I guess, um, your blood vessels develop aneurysms through them. And so they, if you looked at them under a microscope or, or somehow you would see like bumps and it would look like your blood vessels would look like a rosary. And but back's back there. He's a doctor, and hopefully I didn't mess that up. But anyway, um, he couldn't, I, I, from what I understood, he can't get the vitamins and minerals and things that he needs to his muscles. So when I met Paul, uh, his hands were like this. He couldn't move his fingers at all. They were, they were crumpled like this, and he would, as he was talking, he would try to straighten them out, but they would just go right back. 
and, and I think because the tendons pulled him back, but there was no muscle in his hands. Like here where we have muscles, it was just sunk. No muscle at all. And then the same thing in his feet. And, um, and other parts of his body were, uh, muscles in his body were being absorbed by his body slowly over time. It, it was, it was a, a horrible disease for him to go through. It was very painful. Um, but, but Paul uh, also viewed himself as an evil man. Um, he told me uh, that he was in a biker gang, and uh, I, you don't have to be evil to be in a biker gang, but he was in a biker gang, and I want to be in a biker gang someday. But anyway, um, but, but he was in this biker gang, and from what him and his friends said, it sounded like he, um, uh, he did some things in that biker gang that were evil. And, uh, and, and he talked about women and all these different things that went on in his life um, and, and the horrible things that he did. And he's a chaplain. I, I don't even deserve to have you in this room. I, I shouldn't, God doesn't love me. He can't love me. All these things that I've done, there's no way that that could be possible. Another guy that I met was Scott. And, and Scott came to Akron City because he had these, uh, these open sores on his arms from injecting heroin. And the first thing that you think is, okay, especially when you meet him, is this guy's crazy. And he's a heroin addict. So the first thing you want to do maybe is judge him, right? Well, no, uh, I got to know him, and Scott was a professor at the University of Worcester, or Worcester College, or whatever it is in Worcester, and a pretty prestigious school, and he uh, got his bachelor's degree at the University of Worcester, went to um, Columbia University and received his master's degree. Somewhere along the way, got his doctorate, and then became a professor at the College of Worcester, um, and then he, he uh, was so good at his job that he got a job as a consultant. And he was like, I mean, he was making tons of money. And uh, life was good. He was, married, uh, he was married. He had two kids. Now, things were going great. And then he got this disease, this debilitating disease that I never really got the name of. But he, was, he, was, he struggled through this disease. And, and the worst part of it was it was like extreme pain, but the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And he couldn't... He couldn't, like this, debilitated him to the point that he really, he couldn't do a whole lot. Like lifting things and stuff was like impossible for him. It was really bad. And so uh, he lost his job because he couldn't go to work. Um, he couldn't think right. Like his brain wouldn't do things that it used to be able to do. And so like he couldn't, he just couldn't do the consulting side of things. He couldn't do the professor side of things. And, and he lost his job. He lost his insurance because he lost his job. He had to start paying out of pocket for everything. And, um, and then he lost his wife. She left him, and she took um, their two children with her. And, uh, and so he was left alone, and then he ran out of money because it was so expensive for the medical bills, and he was having to pay his wife and, and so on and so on. And, and uh, he ran out of money. And so he started injecting heroin because it was the only way to get away from the pain. Or those, that's his story. Um, that's also his parents' story and uh, of, of how things went down for him. And then there's Don and Dave. And Don was a, a friend of mine. Um, some of you might know her. She's from the Norton campus. 
and the two of us worked together with the youth at, at, at Grace and Norton. And uh, I, she and I, we, we led the seniors discipleship group. It was a really, really fun time. Her son was in it when I first came in. And it was just, it was a really neat time of investing in kids' lives. Uh, but, but last year, while I was, I was a chaplain, she came to Akron City with, with stage four cancer in her lungs. And, uh, and it was just, it was unbelievable. It was, it was her, her body was not doing what it was supposed to. The cancer was putting her in all this pain and she was just incredibly hurting. And, uh, and, and so that, that, and, and that's Don and Dave. And then there's my parents. Um, uh, I'm a little biased towards them, but, but, but most people would probably agree when you meet my mom and dad, you notice some things. They're incredibly godly people who love everyone they meet. Um, uh, my, my mother, uh, she was here last service and I was joking. Um, she, I'm not sure when she would wake up because she'd have to pour water on me to wake me up in the morning because I loved sleep. But, um, but she uh, actually would get up way before us. I would imagine 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. She would open up her Bible. She would get whatever it was that she ate uh, for breakfast, and she would read God's Word every morning to this day. Every single morning she reads God's Word. And it's not like reading. Like you should, There are notebooks. There are notes in the Bible. There are notebooks. Like it's awesome, okay? So I learned about the Bible and how to be disciplined in that way from my mom. My dad uh, uh, was, is the type of person that, that everybody knows him, and he knows everybody by name. Um, he would go to the same restaurant uh, back in the day to, to eat because he wanted to know everybody. And he knew every waitress, every busboy. He knew the owner. I mean, he knew everybody. And not, he, he didn't know them just to know them. Like, he wasn't like cheers, like you want to be where somebody knows your name. He knew them because it was important to him that they knew Jesus. And he would talk to them about Jesus. And he would leave them enormous tips so that they knew that the Christian wasn't the cheapskate. Okay? And, and, and after 30 years working at Ohio Bell, he started there right after he got back from Vietnam. He... Uh, he retired, and he took a huge lump sum of money for his retirement, huge. And, uh, uh, and, and then he invested it, and the man he invested it with stole it, all of it, every single cent. And, uh, and they were left without anything, like money-wise. They had lots of, you know, they had what they needed, but no, no money. And then there was Mandy, and Mandy was raped by, by uh, I actually don't know who she was raped by, but she was like eight or nine years old, she was raped. Um, and when we met her a couple weeks prior, uh, her father had died. When her father died, she started asking questions, questions that we all ask at some time or another, whether we tell people that we do or not. She started asking questions like, is God real? Why would God do this to me? I'm really, really angry at God. Why did this happen? And um, her friends got angry at her for questioning God, Christian friends. And uh, she came to a class that I was in called Healing Unavoidable Grief. 
um, or hug, which I didn't like the name of because I'm a man. But she came to this class, and um, and Mandy like couldn't do it. Like you had to hug at the end of class. She would not hug the other people. That was weird. Anyway, I didn't want to do it either. But um, she 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 couldn't talk about her pain. That was like the number one thing you had to do. Um, she couldn't listen to other people talk about their pain. It was she was just like destroyed on the inside and she only made it through the one class Uh, and and I was actually kind of amazed she made it through the one class well we're going to talk about loss and there's all kinds of loss besides those you know there's loss of a loved one loss of a dream there's loss of a marriage there's the loss of health and loss of innocence um uh this weekend coming up uh, or this is the weekend Monday is Memorial Day, right? And so some of you might be veterans, um, uh, might have served, and, 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 and just a, a little aside there, because I am also a veteran, and, and I've deployed to Afghanistan once, and the reason why I said kind of too is because I've deployed to train several times before as well. So I wasn't sure what to say when he said that, but anyway. Um, but uh, I know the sacrifice that you as a military member give up or have given up, and I want you to know, and we as Grace Church want you to know that we love you and we care about you. I also want you to know that what we're going to talk about is important. It's important for you to talk to other people about the things that you have lost, okay? So um, we might have lost friends, loved ones in battle. Um, We might have lost our innocence in some cases. Um, we might have lost many other things. I want you to know, as a person who's going to be a chaplain, that you need to talk about it. You need to talk about it with your loved ones or a counselor or somebody. You need to work through these things and, let, and, and, and talk to God about it a lot because these are things that happen to us and things that we have to deal with and because it's important that we do that. It applies to you, and it also applies to other guys you know that are in the military who maybe you can talk to, okay? When we suffer a loss, we do something that's uniquely human. We grieve, and grief is the scroll that, is, that this part of our story is written on. And it's, it's absolutely important that we grieve and that we finish our grieving process that we don't just stop somewhere in the process and say this pain is too hard and I don't want to keep going. It's important that we keep going. And so we're going to talk about some of the characteristics of grieving and how we as Christians can help other people who are in that grief. And we're going to start with the story of Job. So you know, uh, you maybe know the story of Job a little bit. You know the beginning of the story of Job, Satan... um, somehow gets in line with the angels and going to see the Lord. And, uh, and, 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 and he comes up to the Lord and, and the Lord's, well, where have you been? You know, and uh, Satan, I've been going to and fro and doing all this stuff, you know, picking on people and being a punk and doing what, what Satan does. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus, uh, the Lord says, well, have you considered Job? Job is upright in my eyes. And Satan, as tricky as he is, well, yeah, because you haven't done anything to him. Because he hasn't experienced any loss. He hasn't been through hurt, pain, is essentially what I got out of it. And, and Jesus says, okay, 
do what you want. Just don't mess with Job. But, all right, essentially like how I saw his, let him experience some loss. So day one after that, right? Here's day one. First messenger comes to Job. Job, your oxens and your donkeys were stolen or killed by attackers. And I'm the only person who survived. Day two, uh, your sheep and your servants were all killed by fire that came down from heaven. And I'm the only person who survived to come and tell you. Day three, your camels were stolen and all of your servants that were with me were killed. And I'm the only person who made it to, and survived. And then messenger number four, Job, your, your sons and your daughters were all feasting together in the oldest brother's house. And a huge wind came and it knocked down the walls of your house and it completely destroyed it. And it killed all your sons and daughters. That's day one. Day one. It's a lot of loss in one day. I'm probably like, okay, all right, God, that's enough. And I don't know why you're doing this, but that is enough, right? Day two, Satan does his whole thing, talks to the Lord, da, 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 and, 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 you know, convinces the Lord, you haven't done anything to him personally. You know, Job still hasn't cursed God. He's, hey, I, you know, this was horrible that it happened, but I, I love God. In fact, the Bible says that Job, Job started worshiping God when he heard about his kids. Weird response, right? But this is an upright man. Day two, though, Satan inflicts sores on Job's skin. So bad that the Bible says that Job had to take a rock and scrape himself because it, it hurt. Like, my daughter has eczema, and she'll scratch her skin, like, down to bleeding. I, that's what I imagine. Like, he was just, it hurt, so he just rubbed it with a stone because his fingernails weren't enough. Or maybe they were gone. Who knows, you know? And, and his wife. You know what? When we experience pain and loss, it makes other people uncomfortable. Did you know that? Like, have you ever been around someone and you felt pretty uncomfortable? Like, what the heck am I supposed to do? Job's wife comes out and she says, Job, why are you going through this? Just curse God and die. That is not what I would recommend. <laughs> not incredibly helpful, right? Un unbelievable. She just comes out. And, but that's, that's how it is sometimes. Like, she sees his pain and she's like, I don't know what to do for you. I don't know how to help you. Just curse God and die because it's not getting better. He's taken everything from you. She didn't remember that he hadn't taken her from him yet, you know, stuff like that. But, but she was probably in pain because her husband had sores all over his body. So we'll give her a little compassion. So if I'm um, playing basketball with, let's say, Jeff Martell, because he loves basketball, right? And... Uh, I'm under the hoop because that's usually where I'm at because even though I'm six foot tall, somehow I'm the tallest guy at Grace Church, which is weird. But uh, I'm usually under the hoop and I'm doing my thing, beating people up. And then Jeff takes his gigantic hawk-sized forearm and throws me into the wall. You know what I'm talking about. He knows what I'm talking about. And he throws me into the wall and he breaks my hip, which could happen, Okay. He breaks my hip, and I'm in a wheelchair, and I'm coming into church, and you see me coming in. Jeremy, what happened? How, what, why are you in a wheelchair? And um, I, I broke my hip, Jeff. 
stinking martel smashed me into the wall and he broke my hip right here oh my goodness man we're gonna pray for you anything that you need come you know just let us know and i would be like awesome here's the list of foods that i love set up a timeline and let's get people rolling that sounds good and um but but if i was crying and hurting and he came up to me and and uh Hey, uh, what, what's wrong, Jeremy? Well, my uncle died. And uh, it's just, yeah, I was really close to him. Well, well God has a plan. He's in heaven now. It's going to be okay, right? That does not help. Or, or um, you know, or, or uh, this has actually happened in my presence. A, a woman um, gives birth to a stillborn child. And... She's crying, and you meet her, and, oh, man, what happened? I, you know, I gave birth to a stillborn child. And, well, you know, you got other kids. People have said that in my presence, which, again, what's wrong with you, right? It, or, 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 well, God's going to, God maybe God will give you another kid. Maybe it'll be okay, right? No. We need to learn the way to respond. And, and if you look at the life of Job, I, I, I would suggest you read the whole book, although you could skip like the middle 30 chapters. You get the idea. But essentially what happens is Job goes through all that, and then he starts questioning. He's got the sores on his body. God, why are you doing this to me? I haven't done anything. And these four guys come along, these three older guys and this one young guy, this really young punk who just thinks he knows everything. And they're all like, Job, obviously this is your fault. Seriously, 30 or more chapters. It's, there's like a novel in the book of Job where these guys are arguing with Job about why Job is, is going through this. Not helping him, but it's exactly what we would do. Like, Job, obviously you did something wrong. God doesn't just give people sores for no reason. Obviously you did something wrong, Job defends himself. No, actually, I haven't. Well, Job, then you better start praying and figure out what's wrong with you because this has happened. And you know what happened, I think, is that Job defended himself and then they got angry because he wasn't listening to them, which sometimes happens when we're trying to help other people. It's happened to me when I was in hospital rooms with people. It's happened to me when I was on in the, in, in, Afghanistan with people talking through their marriage problems, where I was like, why don't you just listen to me? If you would just listen to me, we could fix this right now. Just do what I'm telling you. It doesn't help, though, and it never does. And, and for Job, those 30-some chapters of people talking way too much didn't help at all. In fact, in Job 16, 1 through 3, Job said, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? I can imagine that being me because I love to hear the sound of my own voice. So I can imagine that he would be talking to me at some time. But here's what we can do, okay? The first thing that we can do is we can say little. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips... He has deemed intelligent. Think about that for a second. Maybe you are that guy that talks too much. Maybe, 
But if you didn't talk so much, people might think that you were wise. But in this setting, you're dealing with somebody who's lost. You don't know what to say. Good, don't say anything. Put your arms around them. Tell them that you love them. Be silent. Let them talk. Second thing that we can do is extend love. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Extend love. My parents, the, the, not the end of that story, they're, they're still alive, but the end of what we're talking about, um, they, they didn't have the money to do the things they used to do. Dad couldn't go to breakfast every morning. So you know what? His friends at church, they took him out. Almost every day he had somewhere to go for breakfast and sometimes for lunch. Uh, they go on vacation every year with their Bible study. My parents' friends, they, they went to them and they said, we can't come this year. We don't have enough money. We just can't afford it. Nope, you're going. Already paid for it. My dad goes to Canada every year. And uh, they go canoeing and they do their thing. You know, they, they do Bible studies and they, they, you know, praise God. They do whatever. They fall out of canoes. Whatever it is that they do up there in Canada, it's kind of a hidden thing. We probably don't want to know. But, um, but uh, my dad and I just don't have the money to do it anymore. Yeah, you do. Get in the van is the response he got from his friend Dave. It literally told him, yeah, you do. You have the money. Just get in the van. That's all you have to do. And, uh, and, and, and over time, God restored them to where today their life is pretty much exactly like it was. But they went through that time. And you know, not once did my dad ever turn from God. He kept saying, God is going to take care of us. It, this was horrible, but God's got it taken care of. My mom, she had the right to be mad at my dad, maybe. She gave up that right. She loved him through it. She said to other people, it's a hard time, but man, I love him and I love God and we know he's going to take care of it. It was awesome. The next thing is that we can learn empathy. This is an important uh, task, but it's something that takes practice, empathy. It's something that we don't just learn easily. It has to do with listening and hearing the other person's pain, and almost experiencing it with it. And if I defined it myself, I would say that, that empathy is asking questions that allow the person to see that you're in it with them. That you un, that, that, not that you necessarily understand the pain, but that the pain that they're going through, you realize and you are a part of. Crying with them, understanding their emotions, feeling with them. There's a book called The Wounded Storyteller. The author talks about the way that our life is mapped out. And, uh, and, and all of us kind of have a map, a direction kind of that we're going. And, and he's talking about illness. And he says, serious illness is a loss of destination and map that had previously guided the ill person's life. Ill people have to learn to think differently. When we talk about empathy, one of the things that we have to do is, is we have to learn to think differently with the person who has to learn to think differently. Listening to their story 
is the whole point of that book, The Wounded Storyteller, and showing empathy to them is hearing what they're saying and engaging it, engaging the emotions that they're going through, asking questions. How does that make you feel? What is going on? Uh, somebody tells you about some hopeless situations in their, in their life, and you can say, it really sounds like this situation is, ho- is, is somewhat hopeless. Yeah, well, it is, and da-da-da-da-da. You can engage in that conversation with them. Paul says, oops, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's essentially just getting yourself into it. It's about being there with them. The end of Paul's story, remember Paul with the rosary disease, is that I came to him uh, one day. He was there for several months. And I said, do you remember the, uh, the first time that one of those like, hurtful things happened to you? And I, had to, I got pulled out, and I had to come back a couple hours later. And he responded to it then. He said, you know, you asked me that question. I do remember. Um, I remember that when I was five years old, I saved up money from working in my neighbor's yard. And, um, and I bought my mom a dress. I wrapped it up and I put it under the Christmas tree and I remember that my mom and dad got in a fight on Christmas Eve and they and and my mom took the Christmas tree and she threw it in the backyard in the snow. I remember that she took the presents and she threw them out in the snow too and then she went out and she stomped on them in the snow. And then he looked at me and he said, "I hate her." Why would she do that to a 5-year-old? I hate that woman for doing that to me. That is horrible. It was just, he was irate. Then he shared another story with me. And, and, and then, as I listened to the pain, then he brought himself around. And he said, but you know, I was thinking about God and how God loves us. And I was thinking about my grandma used to teach me, take me to church. And, and, and he said, he essentially, to, to make it short, he brought himself around to the gospel. <laughs> and all I had to do was kind of fill in a couple little gaps. And by the end of that conversation, he accepted Jesus as a Savior. And he called me. He went home, and he called me for, like, weeks. Like, I'd get into the office. Hey, uh, Paul called you again. you got to call him back. Call him. Oh, I'm doing great. La, 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 it was awesome. But it was all through listening. And the last thing is to be present. Um, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. And if there's anything that I learned from Dave and Dawn, it was that I had no idea what to do. None. It was my friend in the bed, and I had no idea what to do. And so I just went, and I sat by her bed. And I just held her hand because I had no idea. What the heck do I do? That's stage four cancer. The doctor's telling her she's got 2% chance of life. Really, I just wanted to punch the doctor. You know? Like, I didn't really, I didn't have any idea what to do. I just held her hand. Sat there and cried when she asked questions like, why is God doing this to me? I don't know. When her husband said, um, when, when her husband told, told her, oh, yeah, God loves you. He's, this is, it's a trial, and we're going to get through this, and I have hope in God. You know, Jeremy, right? I hope. I, don't, I have hope too. But I don't know why God's doing this. 
I, I don't like it as much as you don't like it, right? Well, mourning has no timeline, and that's something important that we should learn. And uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. This is seasons. We know this in Ohio, right? Seasons can be long, like the December that stretches to June, or, or, or seasons can be short, like the May that's just gone, and all of a sudden it's 100 degrees, right? We know this. We're Northeast Ohioans. Um, we need to be able to be in the pain with the person rather than rather than tell them that it's not okay to be there. We need to feel with them. We need to kind of try to help them through those things because it's a season, that pain. And there is a getting out of it. And we need to remember that as Christians. So how do we embrace the story that God's writing in us? How do, how do we help other or how do we help ourselves when we're going through pain? First thing is to always remember that Christ loves and sympathizes with you, right? Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was here on earth. He was a person. He went through some of the things we did. He was tempted like we are. He is the great high priest, the one who can answer us because he's been through what we've been through. He sympathizes and empathizes with what we have gone through. And that's proven in John chapter 11. Remember Mary and Martha? Uh, from the whole Mar Martha's uh, doing the dishes and Mary's um, sitting with Jesus worshiping him, that whole scene, their, their brother dies. And they had called Jesus to come. And when Mary saw Jesus, she said, it says this, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Later it says that he wept. Jesus hurts with us. He goes through pain and he's been through pain. These were his friends and he went through pain with them. You know, the rest of that story, he raises Lazarus from the dead, proving that he's God. And that's pretty important too. But what we see here is that he sympathizes and empathizes with us. Another thing is to choose to run to the answer and not to the question. So we ask a lot of questions, right? Why did this happen? What, what's going on? Why would God let this happen to me? Those questions don't necessarily have great answers. But there is an answer. Samuel Rutherford, who had lost his wife and his children, wrote this. It's pretty cool. He said, um, 
If you should see a man shut up in a closed, dark room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you should begin by blowing out his lamps and then throwing open the shutters to let the light of heaven in. He had just lost his, his wife and his children to disease. I trust in God. We trust in God in part because we also know that there are answers. It's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Think about the fact that sometimes he has to blow out our candles so that we can see the light. The greater light than just those tiny candles. And and Paul in Romans chapter 8, I'm going to skip to the bottom because I think there's a big long thing up there. No power in sky above or in earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that for a second. No matter what pain we go through, we have that high priest who loves us and whom we can never be separated from. We're going to go really fast because I'm running out of time. Actually, I'm out of time. Um, Travel through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalms 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And uh, something important here is that we don't set up our tents in the valley, that we travel through them. So when you set up your tent in the valley, your your identity becomes the valley. It becomes the loss, the hard times, which creates anger and all kinds of other problems for you. Remember that grieving is a time, a season, but we need to try to move through it. We need to get help. We need to talk to others. We need others. We need to let others love us. I met a lady who was divorced and I was marriage counseling with that with her and her fiance and she hated her ex-husband so much that she loved hating him more than she loved her fiance I guarantee it and it was destroying her and if if we set up our tent in the valley that's what happens we let the past destroy us we can turn to Jesus Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When our lives change, when we experience and deal with loss. Our perspective on life is deepened. Our love for others, our bond with them is strengthened. Our dependence on God is clarified. Our compassion for others is intensified. We don't look forward to our next loss, but we are confident that Christ is in it with us in the loss. So the questions, I guess, at the end would be, what have you lost? What's your response going to be? Why did God give you the story that you have? 
And will you trust God to write your story? I definitely probably wouldn't have had God write my story the same as he has. Some of those people we talked about probably wouldn't either. But they trusted him, some of them. And I trust him and we trust him. And that's the best thing that we can do. With our pain.